This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here at the Worth Recovery podcast, and I am a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So today I am grateful for, remember that I'm doing some grateful moments towards the end of this year. Today I'm grateful for connections. I'm grateful for the people in my life who know me and who care about me, who love me, and with whom I can be very real and very authentic. I have several people in my life that I can't always be that way with. And when I have encounters with them, it reminds me of how grateful I am for the real connections that I have. I had an experience a few weeks ago that still has me thinking. I showed up for my religious services and I was a little on the sad side. You know, my mom is dying. I'm working on my food addiction, which has been difficult for me. I've been flooded with childhood memories of trauma and different things that I'm trying to work through, and I've just been busier than normal lately. So I showed up and I was not my chipper, upbeat self. A woman noticed that and she asked what she could do to help me. I explained that I was just a little sad and that I was working through it. She said that wasn't okay. In fact, she said, wow, that's not okay that you're sad. (laughs) That she didn't want to see me that way and that she needed me to be happy. She even texted me later that afternoon with the same message. What I don't think she understands from that exchange is that she just went into my unsafe category. Even if I did need help or wanted someone to talk to about things, it's not going to be her. She basically said, you cannot be sad. I'm not okay if you're sad. That's what she's saying. And so I know that I can't go to her if I'm struggling or if I'm sad. I know it would not be safe for me to be told that I can't feel a certain way. In contrast, I left a message for a woman this week while I was struggling with something. She got back to me with love, support, and confidence in me that I could work through it, and just general acknowledgement that what I was facing was hard and difficult. I know that she is a safe person for me to connect with. I hope that you all have safe people and connections in your life. If you do have these people, let them know how much it means to you to have them in your life. Sometimes I feel like I take them for granted until I have these encounters with unsafe people. And then all of a sudden, I really am grateful for the connections that I do have in my life. So I want to give a quick shout out to Shannon, who was incredibly helpful to me this week. I'm grateful for the connections that I have and for all the support that I receive in my life. So today, today is episode 74 and is the conclusion of our series on objectification. In our first episode of this series, episode 70, we talked about the 10 qualities of objectification. They are instrumentality, denial of autonomy, inertness, violability, ownership, denial of subjectivity, fungibility, reduction to body, reduction to appearance, and silencing. We discuss the definition of each of those qualities and some examples of how they manifest in our world and in our lives. 
I asked you last time to examine two questions as we reviewed these qualities. How do I do this to other people? That was question number one. And question number two, how do I do this to myself? In our next episode, episode 72, that was our last one, we examined the first question. How do I do this to other people? I gave you five suggestions on how to stop doing this with other people. I always want to look at my own behavior first. I gave you some suggestions on things that had worked for me on how I stopped doing objectification with other people. In today's episode, episode 74, we're going to examine the second question. How do I do this to myself? How do I objectify myself? And how do I allow myself to be objectified by other people? And that's the, that's the question I wanna talk about today. Now, a few quick announcements before we jump in. Registration has begun for our upcoming event in January. Engaged in the Struggle is the theme of our Worth Recovery event in Salt Lake City, Utah on January 21st of 2017. I know that seems like a ways away, but it's really not. It's just a few short months. We already have a number of women registered, so don't delay too long. Get your ticket. Early bird pricing is still available. It's only available for a few more weeks. Our lineup is amazing. And what I'm super excited about is over the next several weeks, I, we have some podcast episodes with each of our presenters. And so we're going to be kind of previewing what they're going to be talking about in January and also giving you some great information there. You can find all the details for that on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. Also, before we move forward, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies are amazing. When a woman reaches out for help in addiction, it's my mission to provide the voice and the hand of a woman to reach back. Worth Warriors, you make that happen. You make that possible. I love you so much. So I thank you for your time and your effort. You ladies that contribute on a monthly basis, you make sure and guarantee that this podcast remains free for all those women out there. And I can't thank you enough for that. If you've been enjoying what you're learning, if you're a regular listener, we have so many new listeners. If this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, then get on the website and become a Worth Warrior. There are special perks and discounts for our Worth Recovery events. You can join the Worth Warriors for as little as $4 a month. That's less than 50 cents an episode. So get on the website, look for the Worth Warrior logo on the homepage, and join the club. All of that information can be found on www.worthrecovery.com. And you know what? Just a quick shout out and milestone. We've had so much growth recently, and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. Just this last week, we hit a new milestone where we now have regular listeners in over 50 countries. It's actually 54, 54 countries. So every state in the United States and 54 countries throughout the world are listening to our podcast. I can't tell you, first of all, how humble that makes me. I was looking in the mirror the other day, kind of doing my hair and thinking, I haven't even been to 54 countries. Like. I've only been to two countries outside of my own, and they're both on my continent. Like, I've never left my continent. And I'm just so humbled that there are people around the world who have the same problem that I do and who are listening to what we have to say and are finding value and strength in that. So thank you so much. Thank you for making this possible for all of our Worth Warriors, and thank you for all of your 
continued support. You know, sometimes I do this and I put my voice out there and I put my thoughts out there and I think, oh my gosh, no one's going to want to listen to that. It's not very valuable and it's there's not a lot of information there or, you know, I can't believe people listen to it. And then I get emails from you ladies and you're just so grateful and it just makes me so grateful. I'm so grateful for all of you. Okay, let's get back to our discussion today. So episode 74, objectification, right? Our discussion today centers around this question. How do I objectify myself? And how do I allow myself to be objectified? I want to make, of course, something super clear here before we get started. The only behavior that we can control, the only behavior I can control is my own behavior. I can't control other men or women. I can't control anyone's behavior. Only what I choose to do, what I choose to think, what I choose to put my time into. I can't control how other people view me. I can't control how other people treat me. I can't control any of that. I am completely and totally powerless over other people and their actions, their thoughts, their feelings, and their deeds. I can't control that. What I can control though is me. I can control my actions and my thoughts. Therefore, I cannot control if I'm being objectified by others. But what I can control is how I choose to respond to that objectification. Again, I'm purposefully not saying men or women here. I want you to think about how you objectify yourself and how you are going to respond when you feel objectified by other people, whether that's men or women. Objectification is an attitude and not just something that happens on its own at only certain places or only certain times with only certain people. In my experience, it's an attitude that can permeate our lives. Like last time, before we talk about concrete action, I want to remind you that this is a process you tackle one piece at a time as things become part of your awareness. If this is something you struggle with, It probably didn't just start recently. It's going to take some time to work through it and see some serious progress. You're not going to all of a sudden be healthy in one week or a few days or even just one month. And that's okay, ladies and gentlemen. It takes some time. We're talking about progress, not perfection. Second, you are not helpless in this battle. If you want to change, if you want to start seeing people and not objects, you can do that. It will take effort and it will take time, but you absolutely can do it. As we begin, remember that this is a process, that you are not helpless over this, and that the only thing that you can control is your own actions. Now, in our last episode, we took that quality list, the list of qualities of objectification, and we kind of turned them inside out. And we created a great list of how we could treat people We need to treat people like they are an end in themselves, not a tool. A self-determined agent with ideas and thoughts and desires. Independent and owned only by themselves. We need to treat each person like they're unique, like they're valuable, like they're not to be harmed. We need to treat people like they're beings with feelings and experiences. And definitely we need to treat them like they are more than their body more than their appearance, and that they're capable of expressing themselves, that they have a voice that matters. I love that list. 
I want to be treated like that and I know that you want to be treated like that and I want to be able to treat others like that as well. That is the ideal. That is the goal. So let's talk about the two obstacles that we're going to discuss today to reach that goal. The first one is self-objectification. You might not heard of this official term before like self-objectification, but I'm very confident that you're familiar with the concept. Self-objectification is thinking of oneself, like me, as an object first and a person second. Okay, so I look at and view myself as an object first and a person second. Now, Darling Magazine, Allie Smith is a writer for Darling Magazine, and she calls out these behaviors as part of self-objectification. Quote, Self-objectification behaviors can include, but are not limited to, excessive mirror looking, frequent selfies, critiquing one's appearance in the reflection and photographs, and comparing oneself to images in the media and other women. The danger of self-objectification is that compelling research has found that is associated with a number of ills, including body shaming, appearance anxiety, depression, and eating disorders, close quote. Do you relate to any of that? Excessive mirror looking, frequent selfies, critiquing your appearance and comparing your image to the media and to other women? I definitely do that. I compare my appearance to that of other women. I feel like I struggle with the mirror, but maybe in the opposite way that she describes. I remember early on purposefully avoiding mirrors not being able to see myself as more than a body, I refuse to look at myself at all. In fact, I have a relative who refuses to have her picture taken. She just won't do it. I would count that as self-objectification as well. That would all be self-objectification. I think we are all familiar with ways that we might objectify ourselves physically. We obsess over certain body parts, we have painful surgery, put ourselves on unhealthy diets, starve ourselves even, trying to meet some standard of beauty we have imposed upon ourselves or feel like our culture has imposed upon us that isn't real or most of the time even attainable. We all probably hate that we do this to ourselves. I know I hate that I do it to myself. It feels gross and sick and I feel unworthy and depressed when I get caught in that cycle. I feel unlovable and even sometimes feel really ashamed of myself for liking myself because I don't live up to that beauty standard I felt was being imposed upon me. Does that make sense? Like I feel shame about liking myself when my body doesn't meet this media standard that has been kind of forced upon me. I feel like it's taken me about five years of therapy and recovery to feel like I'm even healthy enough to really examine my own issues with body image, with food, and with shame. As I work now to explore some of these incredibly painful memories and the associated trauma, I realize that this stuff runs deep. This self-objectification is viewing myself as handicapped because of my body and because of the way I looked has been present my entire life. And that makes me really sad. <laughs> so how do we stop this? How do we stop objectifying ourselves? I just want to share three ideas that have helped me as I've kind of gone through this process. And I'm still working through this, guys. This isn't, I'm not perfect at this at all. 
at all. But this is something that I think is so important for all women. So I just want to share three ideas that have helped me recently even, and, um, and hopefully they can help you too. So the first one is exploring what my body is capable of. So when I started recovery, I started doing some different things. I started going to the gym and I hired a trainer. I started strength training. I started skating. I love to rollerblade. I started walking more. I started swimming more. I started hiking. For my first kind of two years, I did a hike every month. I started exploring what my body is capable of. And in that process, I realized that my body does amazing things, guys. Amazing things. Like seriously amazing things that mostly do not depend on how beautiful I may or may not be. My body is the vehicle that I occupy through my life. It's what takes me from place to place. I started to understand and realize just how amazing my body is. I also started breathing, like really breathing, really feeling present in my body. Learning to appreciate my body and what my body is capable of has been incredibly helpful in stopping the self-objectification process. Most recently, I started a yoga class. Now, let me tell you, first, I'm not flexible. <laughs> like, not at all. And I have a hard time sometimes with balance. I'm not super coordinated. I'm coordinated, but I'm not super coordinated. Anyway, this yoga class has been really amazing for me to just really help me occupy my body, understand what it's capable of, and see progress, even just a little bit. Okay, so my first idea, start exploring what your body is truly capable of. Okay, second, my second idea is practicing self-acceptance. I read a book a little while ago titled, When the Body Says No, and it's about the mind-body disease connection. In the book, they describe the account of a woman who was dying. They actually describe several women. But this particular one was important to me. It really stood out to me. One of her final wishes was that she had complete and total love and acceptance of her body. Every day she spent time just looking and staring at certain parts of her body. She started with her feet. She spent time every day like staring at them in the mirror, holding them, feeling them, touching them, calling them hers until she loved them, until she loved every detail of them. She goes on and describes the process with her legs, her arms, her hands, her head, more and more of her body. I cried, I wept actually as I read it. In the end, she actually started healing, getting more movement back in her body as she practiced total love and acceptance. It was inspiring. It was inspiring because I want to feel that way. I want to feel that way about my body. I want love and total acceptance of my body. I'm not there yet. I'm definitely not there yet, but I am practicing. I'm practicing. I'm practicing self-acceptance. I spend time looking at parts of my body, feeling them, understanding them, and accepting them understanding what they're capable of, loving them. I'm not there yet, like I said, but I practice and I'm getting better. And I would say that there are parts of my body that I definitely love. I love my hands. I totally, 
totally love my hands. And I'm getting more and I'm getting better at it over time as I practice self-acceptance. If you want to overcome self-objectification, start practicing some self-acceptance. It's a practiced thing. It doesn't all of a sudden happen for you one day. You got to practice at it. Okay, my third idea, the third thing that I use is self-affirmations. You, if you listen to my podcast, you know I love affirmations. I love everything about them. I call them talking back statements. And I have some talking back statements about how amazing I am. I have statements that talk about being more than my body because I am more than my body. I have statements that talk about how I take care of my body, how I love my body, how I fuel my body. I work to change the dialogue in my head. I work to talk back to the shaming voices that I have going on in my head. And as I do that, the way I feel about my body and myself changes. The way I talk to myself changes and I start to see that there is more to me than just my body. I start to really appreciate and see the complex, multidimensional person that I am. The more that I do that, the less tolerant I become of objectification, especially self-objectification, but also just objectification in general. The more I practice all three of these, the less tolerant I become of objectification. These three ideas, exploring what my body is capable of, practicing self-acceptance, and talking back to the shaming voices in my head have really helped me to stop the self-objectification chatter that goes on in my head. It's helped me to come to love myself more, love all sides of me, all aspects of me. It has helped me to find more self-compassion, more grace for myself, and to really love myself and who I am. Now, the natural result of these things, the natural result of loving myself more, of understanding myself more, of having a clear understanding of who I am, the natural result in my life has been boundaries, has been the desire to have more boundaries. In my recovery journey, as I began to understand who I am, have greater awareness of myself and greater love for myself, I started recognizing the behaviors of those who didn't have that kind of love for me or for themselves. I started to see the need for boundaries as a way to protect myself, as a way to help me stay in the right headspace. They became natural extensions of what I needed to live and what I needed to stay safe in the world. When it came to objectification, I found that there were some boundaries that I put into place that helped me to not feel objectified by others and also helped me to stop the objectification in my own life. The first boundary I put in place is simply identification. Boundary number one. This is what I wrote. Name it and call it out. (laughs) At first, all I could do was name it and talk about it. I made a conscious effort to try and really see objectification in all forms. When I saw it or felt it, if it was directed towards me, I named it and I spoke to it. At first, I couldn't do it in the moment. It happened later in the day or sometimes the next day, but the more I practiced it, the more I could identify it in the moment as it was happening. And also at first, all I could do was say, that feels like objectification to me. I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't really explain why, I couldn't correct it. All I could do was identify it. Soon, that wasn't enough for me though. 
I needed to do more than just identify it. My friend Stacy Sprout wrote an article. I'll link to it on my website so you'll be able to find it um, on this podcast episode about stopping the unwanted staring. One of the strategies she talks about is the nod. That falls into this category. Name it and acknowledge it. If someone is staring at you, look them straight in the eyes, don't smile, and simply nod your head at the person and turn away. Basically, you're saying, I see you, I see what you're doing, now stop it. (laughs) Name it, acknowledge it, and call it out. That is the beginning of stopping objectification. Now, the second boundary I put in place um, is similar to what we talked about last time. So boundary number two for me was add dimension. We've talked about this all along, but objectification happens when we reduce a complex human being into just a few pieces. We take them and flatten them into a version that fits our needs and strips them of dimension. So the second boundary I worked on was adding dimension. When I felt objectified or was objectifying others, or when I was witnessing it happen with others, I would add dimension. In conversation, when I felt like someone was being objectified, I would say things about the person. Did you know that they're really good at hockey? Or have you seen her sketchbook? It's amazing. I would try and add dimension to the person. This worked really, really well for me. Most of the time it would catch people off guard and kind of stop them in their tracks. And that's the point really. We want to stop objectifying people and start seeing them as complex human beings. I could also do this for myself when I felt objectified. I could say things like, did you know that I used to teach high school? Or did you know I won an art competition? Or I've been playing the piano so long, I don't even remember learning. I've just always been able to play the piano. Or did you know that my bachelor's degree is in mathematics? Really, all I'm trying to do is just add dimension to who I am. Again, the person is usually caught off guard and usually stops like in their tracks. But again, that's the point, right? You reduced me to two dimensions and I'm showing you that there is more, much, much, much more. So my second boundary was just to add dimension. I did it, I could do it in conversation as I felt like people were objectifying others. I could do it for myself by adding dimension to myself Both of these options worked really, really well for me. Okay, my third boundary was to correct the action. When you get used to naming it and calling it out and adding dimension, you find that you want to correct the injustice that's being done. Well, at least that's how I felt. That's how I felt. I wanted it to change. Soon after practicing and becoming more familiar with it, I wanted to stop it. I wanted people to stop and to change what they were doing. I have found the simpler, the better when you approach this idea, when you want people to stop. I will simply say, stop staring. That one is easy. Stop interrupting. That one's easy as well. There are several that are easy. I simply just ask them to stop. If I'm in a good mood, I'll put a please in front of it. Please stop staring. I'll say that to people staring at me. I'll say that to people staring at others. Please stop interrupting. Please stop talking about body parts. Please don't make comments about my appearance, good or bad. I just ask for the action to stop. If they want feedback, if they say something like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was happening, then I might add something like, it makes me feel uncomfortable when you stare at people or me like that. Or interrupting is a sign of disrespect. 
It says you aren't listening to what I have to say. But if they don't ask for it, if they don't ask for feedback or show that they're willing to accept feedback, I don't give it. They've already objectified me and others. Giving them my thoughts will probably fall on deaf ears. And after doing that for a little bit, I found that it totally worked. It was very easy to say, stop, please stop staring. I have no problems with that anymore. But after doing it for a while, there's one more boundary that I put in place for objectification. And this is my fourth boundary that I have. And it's that I don't waste time with people who objectify me. My time is precious and limited. I have so much to do. I am constantly, constantly busy. After practicing these boundaries for a while, I began recognizing objectification a lot sooner in the process. I also began to recognize those that were open for feedback and those that weren't. And I became intolerant of people unwilling to treat me with respect. I could recognize kind of that gut reaction, that feeling that I got in the pit of my stomach when I knew I was being objectified or when I was watching someone objectify others. And that objectification could come in any form. That could be physical objectification, but it also could be emotional or anytime I felt silenced or anytime I felt like people were not honoring my experiences. It could be any form of objectification. I would call it out. I would add dimension. I would even ask them to stop. Yet there were still people who would argue with me or tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about. I had some just dismiss me and just ignore what I had to say. And from those people, I walked away. I don't have time to waste trying to convince them of the error of their ways. I'm not going to chase them down and try to argue with them, but I'm also going to stop doing things with them and I'm going to stop engaging in conversations with them. If they want to ask me what is going on and why I have changed, then maybe I'll have a conversation with them about it. But until then, I'm not going to waste my time with people who objectify me. I know that that sometimes seems easier said than done. And for sure, it's easier said than done. But ladies, you don't have time. You don't have time to waste with people who are objectifying you. Now, every single one of these boundaries takes time and effort. You have to practice them. You have to practice them even when you're not witnessing objectification so that you'll know what you'll say and what you'll do when it happens. Practice by calling it out what you see on TV or in movies. Practice what you would say to that person. Work on them and practice. Now to sum up here, objectification is a battle that you have to hit from all angles. It's not just about the way you look at someone. You have to work offensively, controlling what you can control, setting up accountability, and defensively having a plan for what, will you, what you will do when it happens. You also need to work to stop objectifying yourself. Explore and appreciate your body and your soul in all sorts of ways. And you need to have boundaries about what you will do when others objectify you or you witness objectification. This is a big topic. Remember, our goal here is to treat every single person as the multi-dimensional complex being that they are. I hope this helps you. I hope you're able to use some of these tools in your work to overcome objectification in all forms. It's been a really good discussion for me and a good reminder of some of the things that I need to work on. Objectification is hard because it happens so 
frequently in our current culture and in our media. Our media is just, I mean, every day is all about objectification. And this is a big issue. And you'll find that you're the minority. At least that's what I have found. I found that I'm the minority in trying to address this issue. But I have also found great peace and great love and great acceptance of myself and others when I work on overcoming objectification in my life. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, whether you're self-objectifying yourself or whether you're struggling with that with others, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up this fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Ladies, I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you so much. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.